start off by talking about our dog. About a year and a half ago, we got a lab with a little puppy. And we have a picture of him. This was our second dog. This is Mac. So because we'd already had a dog, we knew that it was really important to start training him right away, right? Because uh, untrained dog could destroy your own in your life. So to get a little help, we hired a dog trainer. And dog trainer Lisa was a miracle worker. And one of the things we noticed about her right away was that she almost seemed to speak dog. We joked about that. Uh, she had no trouble getting Mac's attention. And there was one particular training session that was in our front yard. She's teaching him how to walk with her. And uh, I'll never forget this. She, uh, she gave him some command to follow her, and he did. And we watched as the two of them took off down the street. Past our house, past the houses uh, that we live near. And it seemed that Mac was more than happy to abandon his family and take off with this complete stranger. Well, this is a little bit of what was happening with the disciples in the story. So we're going to read from the Gospel according to Mark in the first chapter. But before we do, let us pray. Oh God, we open up the scripture to hear a fresh word from you giving us nourishment, hope, encouragement, guidance for our lives. And so, Lord, we come to the scripture, we come to this time, eager to hear from you. So would you give us ears that hear and hearts that are willing and eager to receive what you have to say to us this morning. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, chapter 1, beginning at verse 14. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent. Believe in the good news. As Jesus passed along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me. And I will make you fish for people. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. As he went a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, who were in their boat mending the nets. Immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. This is the word of the Lord. So Jesus says to these fishermen, follow me. And immediately, they do. Leaving everything behind, their families, their jobs, their nets, their fishing boats, their community, maybe without even looking back. Which raises some questions, does it not? Why did they do this? Did they know where Jesus was going to take them? What exactly did they hear when Jesus called them? Well, as is always the case, we find some answers to our questions when we learn a little bit about the ancient context. The story tells us that the disciples were fishermen, and like many people um, who were fishermen, they lived around the Sea of Galilee. We have a map of the Sea of Galilee. This is a freshwater lake, about seven miles wide, 13 miles long. 
And many of these towns around the Sea of Galilee, you'll, you may recognize the names from Scripture, these were all simple fishing towns. At this time in history, the Romans ruled over the entire Holy Land. As you may remember, the Romans ruled by fear. Public executions were not uncommon. They had outrageous taxes on everything. And the entire system benefited those at the top. There really wasn't a middle class. There were those at the top, and then there was everybody else at the bottom. These were tough times for the Israelites. But then again, it had been tough times for a very long time for them. They hadn't ruled over their land for hundreds of years. Now, these fishermen were Jewish, as we know. And a part of being uh, Jewish was that they would gather regularly in their synagogue, their local synagogue, and they would tell the stories and remember the good days of when King David ruled over their land some thousand years back. These were the great times. And so they lived for hundreds of years in this state, in this state of longing and waiting for the time when a new King David would come a new person would rule over Israel. <clears throat> because not only did they long for an end to this political oppression by the Romans, but they longed to know God's blessing again. And for them, God's blessing was directly connected to having a Jewish ruler over Israel. It's difficult for us, 21st century Protestant Americans, for us to get our minds around this understanding but their connection with God, was, with God was directly connected to their politics, their land, their temple. And so for them, having the Romans in power was a faith crisis. It was a theological crisis. So when Jesus appears to them walking along the beach of the Sea of Galilee, and he says to them, the kingdom of God is near they would have heard a highly charged political statement. Jesus was proclaiming an end to this Roman rule, an end to the oppression, to all the heavy taxes. This was extraordinary news. Here on the beach, Jesus is speaking to the centuries of longing, and he's announcing to them that the waiting is finally over. So when we think about it this way, of course they left their nets and followed him. Probably, perhaps, with their father's blessing. Now they think Jesus is inviting them to join the resistance and overflow the, overflow, overthrow the Roman administration so that a new administration could begin in their White House. But, and he was, but not in the way that they Remember, Jesus is a Jewish rabbi. He's a Jewish teacher of their law. Every community had a rabbi and synagogue, and all Jewish boys would go to the school next to their uh, synagogue. They would get a basic education here in the study of Torah until about the age of 12 or 13. And then at that time, most of them would be done. How's that sound? Could be completely done with school by the age of 12 or 13. And then after that time, they would go learn the family trade, like maybe learning how to be a fisherman. But for those few students who showed some real potential, 
Those who were really smart, had a passion and a commitment, a fire in their belly. These kids would go on to the next level. They would continue studying and then apply to become a student of a certain rabbi. This wasn't simply about taking AP classes or getting advanced knowledge of the study of the Torah. This was about learning to be like the rabbi, to become like the rabbi, to talk like him, to think like him, to walk like him. This required that the kid give everything. But only a few would be able to do this because the ancient rabbis, they didn't want just anyone. They would carefully choose their disciples. They wanted the brightest of the brightest. And so the rabbis would interview these kids trying to discern, do they have what it takes? Could they actually be like me? Now, if the rabbi thought the teenager did not have what it take or what it took to become like him, he'd say, you obviously love God, you love the Torah, but this isn't for you. Go home, learn the family tree. But if he thought that the kid could do it, then the rabbi would say, come, follow me. And then the student would leave his father and his mother, his village, his friends, his entire life, and he would give up everything to follow that rabbi. This is what it means to be a disciple in the first century context. Which begs us to ask the question, if we consider ourselves disciples, can we say we are disciples in the biblical sense of the word? Are we all in? How much are we giving to the pursuit of becoming more like Jesus? Well, a hidden gem in this story is that Jesus is not doing what every other rabbi did. He's not interviewing his disciples. He's not looking for the best and the brightest, the most committed. He's walking along the shore, calling out to fishermen who are doing their work. Which means these were the ones who didn't make the cut. These were the ones who were told not to go on to the next level. This is the JV team. This is the one who got rejected from the top schools. These are the ones with the low-paying jobs. These guys are average, maybe below average. There's nothing that stands out about them, nothing extraordinary. And it's here among these simple-minded, ordinary, average folk that Jesus says, come, follow me. Which means he thinks they can do it. He thinks they have what it takes to become like him, so of course they followed him, because the rabbi believed in them. Let's pause here for a moment and just let this sink in. Jesus goes out searching for them, not the other way around. He welcomes them just as they are. Their mediocre commitment level, their mediocre understanding of the scripture, maybe their bad habits, anger, frustrations, grief, confusion. The invitation is just to come. I remember inviting a friend to church a number of years ago, and she came once. And after the service, we had a chat, and she said, I really enjoy being here, but I just can't add church to my life because. I don't have time for all that the church would require of me. And she never came back. Her words have stayed with me. They've haunted me. Because for her, becoming a part of a church felt burdensome. 
And it's made me wonder, are we church people sometimes guilty of maybe adding to the words of Jesus? Maybe sometimes unintentionally even turning people away or even burdening them with changing the message of Jesus' invitation. Jesus did not say, come, follow me, let's volunteer together. He didn't say, come, follow me, let's become Republicans or Democrats. He didn't say, come, follow me, but please hide your anger, grief, addiction, family problems, whatever. Let's hide it all behind a facade of being nice, good Christian people. No, it wasn't about that. This Christian life, this part of being a part of a church, is first about hearing the call to come and be welcomed and loved and accepted just as we are. Back to my dog trainer, Lisa. Lisa, as you may have guessed, had a trick up her sleeve. Of course, right? She had something in her pocket that gave Mac an extra incentive to want to follow her. What was it? Treats, of course. They live for food. Every morning, our dog acts as if he hasn't been fed in a week. He's so hungry all the time. Dogs live to eat. Maybe we do too. <laughs> well, following Jesus, being a disciple is first about receiving what God knows that we want and need. Maybe it's not food that feeds the belly, but it's certainly food that feeds the soul. Following Jesus feeds our lives with purpose and with hope and with healing and with joy and with that peace that passes understanding. These are the good gifts of God. To the disciples, I bet it hardly mattered where Jesus would take them. And sure enough, Jesus would take them to unexpected places. He took them to the lepers, to the people that nobody wanted to go near for fear that they might get sick. Kind of like going into one of the emergency hospital rooms right now. You hear they're overwhelmed with all the people who had the flu. Jesus would take them to the tax collectors, the ones who everyone hated because they took all their money. And Jesus would reinterpret the scriptures for them, teaching about forgiveness and serving, turning the other cheek, laying down your life, teaching them to seek out the marginalized. Last Monday was Martin Luther King Day, and I was reminded that he lost his life protesting with sanitation workers for fair wages. Sanitation workers, those who clean toilets for a living, scrub floors, take out the trash, people who are often from another country and who sometimes feel like they have won the lottery to be working these jobs living in this country. Humble work that some of us can't imagine doing day in and day out. He lost his life protesting with these workers because he was a follower of Jesus and he had learned to see the humanity in every person. This passage this morning invites us to reflect on our own commitment to following Jesus and to think about what it looks like for us to live out our devotion to him and at what cost. 
hopefully the invitation doesn't feel burdensome, like one more thing to add to an already too long to-do list. Hopefully, the invitation to follow Jesus gives us what my dog found with the trainer, and that is renewed purpose and a whole lot of joy. Following Jesus may mean looking for him in the people and the places where he said he would be found. Our presbytery, our local body of Presbyterian churches, has invited us to be a part of the Los Angeles Homeless Count. And the LA Homeless Count is, happens to be this Tuesday night. And there's another one in uh, a month for the Conejo Valley. But this is an opportunity to engage in the resistance, which is that the value of a human life has nothing to do where you live, or where you were born, or what language you speak, or how much money is in your bank account, or what when, when was the last time you took a shower? Maybe you want to sign up and go some places you don't normally go. See some people you don't normally see and serve Christ by looking into the eyes of the homeless. The Pope has said that following Jesus begins by allowing him to gaze upon you. Allowing him to gaze into your life, your heart, with his love. To gaze into the struggle of your own life, the sorrows, the questions, the confusion, the pain, and to see him gazing on you with full acceptance, loving you just as you are. Oh God, for the story that invites us to imagine you meeting us, calling us from just where we are, gazing on us with full acceptance and love. Thank you for the witness of this story. Lord, would you help us receive your love and receive your invitation to follow you and to embody your love to the world. Make it so, oh God, for we pray it in Jesus' name.